The text for the sermon this evening is Ephesians 6, verse 15. We'll read that verse first. And then we'll go back to Isaiah 40. We read Isaiah 40 because it's one of the clearest pronouncements of the Gospel found in the Old Testament. So as we read through Isaiah chapter 40, I urge you to look for the Gospel as it's revealed. We start by reading Ephesians 6 verse 15. And your feet shod with the preparation of the Gospel of peace. Now we turn to Isaiah 40. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, For she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed And all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. The voice said, Cry. And he said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass." The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. O Zion that bringest good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem that bringest good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength, lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand, and His arms shall rule for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him, and His work before Him. He shall feed His flock like a shepherd. He shall shall gather the lambs with His arm, and carry them in His bosom, and shall gently lead those that are with young. Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of His hand? and meted out heaven with a span, and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance? Who hath directed the Spirit of the Lord, or being His counselor, hath taught Him? With whom took He counsel? And who instructed Him and taught Him in the path of judgment, and taught Him knowledge, and showed to Him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket, and are counted as the small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing. And Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, 
nor the beast thereof sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted to him less than nothing in vanity. To whom then will ye liken God? Or what likeness will ye compare unto him? The workman melteth a graven image, and the goldsmith spreadeth it over with gold, and casteth silver chains. He that is so impoverished that he hath no oblation, chooseth a tree that will not rot. He seeketh unto him a cunning workman to prepare a graven image that shall not be moved. Have ye not known? Have ye not heard? Hath it not been told you? From the beginning? Have ye not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers, that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in, that bringeth the princes to nothing, he maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. Yea, they shall not be planted. Yea, they shall not be sown. Yea, their stocks shall not take root in the earth. And he shall also blow upon them, and they shall wither. And the whirlwind shall take them away as stubble. To whom then will ye liken me, or shall I be equal? saith the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high, and behold, who hath created these things, that bringeth out their host by number. He calleth them all by names by the greatness of his might, for that he is strong in power, not one faileth. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God? Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard? that the everlasting God, the Lord, the Creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of His understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, He increaseth strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. Thus far we read God's holy and inerrant word. May God add His blessing upon the reading of the Holy Scriptures. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have been looking at the spiritual armor that God gives to you and to me and to all of God's people as we stand in the battlefield fighting against the devil. We have seen that God gives unto us the girdle of truth. 
which is to be wrapped around the waist, which girdle of truth indicates that one is ready, prepared for battle. Put the girdle on before entering the battlefield. Then we looked at the breastplate of righteousness, which is the righteousness of God Himself, which righteousness God graciously gives or imputes to us through the work of His Son, Jesus Christ, so that we too might be declared righteous. That protects our spiritual organs, our heart the new heart that we have in Jesus Christ. This evening now we move to the third piece of armor that God gives to us, shoes or even sandals. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So let's look this evening at this verse under the theme, having your feet shod. First, we'll see with what. What is it that is to be on our feet? Second, for what benefit? What's the value of having our feet shod? And third, in what way? That is, how, how do we put these spiritual shoes on? Having your feet shod with what, for what benefit, in what way? We first ask the very practical question, what role do feet have in warfare? We might not spend that much time thinking about our feet. Usually it's not until our feet begin to ache or hurt that then we take notice of our feet and then suddenly take a renewed zeal, or interest in footwear. But as long as our feet do not hurt, then we don't spend much time thinking about our feet. What role would feet have for a soldier? Now, what role spiritually does feet have in your life? We can understand what feet are. Feet are that part of the body that carries the soldier into action. If the soldier is going to be at the right spot at the right time, so that he might be engaged in warfare against the great enemy, it's necessary that his feet carry him there. And so feet are instruments of mobility. But that's not the only purpose of feet. Feet also are instruments of stability. You have to have your feet securely grounded underneath yourself if you are going to be engaged in warfare against the enemy. Otherwise, the enemy could simply push or knock you over. And if you lose your footing and fall to the ground, then you are of no longer any value in fighting this battle. And so feet are 
used for mobility so that you can move from point A to point B, perhaps in pursuit of the enemy or perhaps fleeing from the enemy. But then as well, feet are used to stabilize you so that you can stand securely in your spot, take your sword out, and be ready to fight against the enemy. It's necessary then that your feet be protected from anything on the ground that would hurt it. There could be sharp rocks that a soldier has to climb over, and those sharp rocks could cut the bottom side of the foot so that he's rendered immobile. It could be that a soldier has to walk over hot terrain, over hot sand, with the sun shining down upon that sand, and that sand is just blisteringly hot. And so the soldier would need sandals, shoes then, to protect his feet from that hot ground. It could be that a soldier is required to hike many, many miles throughout the course of a day. If he's part of the infantry, and you'd have to walk great distances. And so, you'd have to have something to give him the strength, the stability to walk. How necessary then that the soldier have adequate footwear as he prepares to go into battle. Prepares. Putting one's shoes on is an indication of preparedness. And the text calls attention to that. It says, have your feet shod with the Preparation of the gospel of peace. The idea is this, to have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace is to be prepared, to be ready to fight against the enemy by having the gospel of peace in our lives. That's how we spiritually are prepared and equipped, made ready to confront the devil, is by having that gospel of peace in our lives. Similar in that sense then to the belt, the girdle of truth. We noted that when you're in the heat of combat, you're not going to stop at that time to put your belt on. It's too late. Same is true with regard to the shoes. Putting on these shoes is an act of preparedness. And so it is that the prepared Christian soldier is the one who has the gospel of peace in his heart. Now this seems paradoxical to us. That the prepared Christian soldier is the one who has peace. The gospel of peace in his heart. 
would not it make more sense to say that the prepared soldier is the one who has strong, passionate emotions within him? Would not it make more sense to say that the prepared soldier is the one who is filled with burning rage against the enemy over there because of the hurt that the enemy has inflicted on him? Have not army generals done that at various times throughout history? Sought to incite the troops to be ready for action by reminding them of the great evils that the enemy has done. And now let's go into battle and let's fight being filled with passion and with anger. But this text says that we are to have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. It's not anger that motivates you to go to the front line and fight. It's not bitterness. It's not desire of revenge. It's not wanting to retaliate because this person hurt me in this way, so I'm going to get back to them. No. Peace. It seems almost paradoxical that the prepared soldier has peace in his heart. The one who is ready to take the sword out of the sheath and use it has peace in his heart. Without having peace in our hearts, we are not prepared. Our feet are not ready to go into battle. If we do not have peace in our hearts, then we will be motivated to warfare for the wrong reasons. Lacking peace, we will become anxious and nervous and we will look to man for help. But then we will find that the help and the protection of man is vain. Psalm 33, verses 16 and 17. There is no king saved by a multitude of an host. A mighty man is not delivered by much strength. And horse is a vain thing for safety. Peace, the gospel of peace, not anger, is what prepares us spiritually to enter battle. So let us look more closely then at this spiritual footwear that we put on, namely the gospel of peace. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news. It is the good news that we have peace with God. And thus, as the Apostle Paul puts it here, it is the preparation of the gospel of peace. We must understand carefully here the nature of the identity of the gospel. The gospel is the good tidings. It's the good 
news, but we must not confuse the Gospel with the revealed and inspired Word of God. The Gospel is not equivalent unto saying the Bible. The Gospel is contained in the Bible, it is true. And without the Bible, we would not know the Gospel, it is true. But the Gospel is not synonymous with the Bible. The reality is that the Gospel was delivered by God unto His people even before the Bible existed. God came to Adam and Eve after they had fallen into sin in Genesis 3, verse 15, and gave unto them that mother promise that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the seed of the serpent. And in that word that God delivered unto Adam and Eve there in the garden, God brought unto them the gospel. He gave them good news before a single word of the Bible was yet inspired. They had the Gospel. The Heidelberg Catechism speaks of this aspect of the Gospel. Lord's Day 6 asks this question, Whence knowest thou this? That is, how do you know this mediator? How do you know Jesus? The answer, from the Holy Gospel, which God Himself first revealed in paradise. Since that point in time, God has continued to reveal the Gospel, especially by the spoken Word. Isaiah. God came to Isaiah the prophet and said to him, Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. The duty given to Isaiah was he was to bring a message of comfort. But now how was Isaiah supposed to bring this message of comfort? By speaking. Speak ye comfortably, that is, to the heart. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her, that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And so what we see then about the Gospel is that God is especially pleased to reveal the Gospel by the spoken Word, which is the preaching. That's the Gospel of peace. It's the voice of Jesus Christ Himself as Jesus, through the preacher, addresses the congregation. And the words that Jesus Christ has for His people are words of love, words of redemption, and words of forgiveness on the basis of His work performed at the cross. That's the Gospel as it is proclaimed through the preacher. And so the preaching then, the preaching of the Word, 
as that word is proclaimed Sabbath day by Sabbath day, is the spiritual shoe that you are to put on, beloved. You do so that you might be prepared to stand up against the devil who is the great adversary of God's church. There is power in the preaching of God's Word. A power that God Himself gives unto that Word. So that that Word is used by God in order to stop the advance of the devil. God uses the preaching of His Word in order to edify you, to build you up in faith, in hope, and in the knowledge of God. Preaching has the power to convict one of their sins. And what a blow that is to the devil when one is convicted of their sins. Preaching has the power to comfort and edify the feeble-minded. And what a blow that is when one who previously was filled with doubt now has the confidence that God has forgiven me. There's power in the preaching. It's a power that we cannot always explain but a power that we sense. It's a power that comes not from the stature, the eloquence, nor the intelligence of the man who delivers that word, but it is a power that comes from the one who commissions that word. To go forth. It's the power of God Himself. The Spirit is the one who causes the preaching of the Word to be spiritual armor by which God's people are protected. We heard this morning about Jesus Christ in threefold office, first of which is prophet. He is our chief prophet. The chief prophet speaks through the earthen vessel of the pastor. And by that preaching, the voice of the good shepherd protects his people from evil. This is, these are shoes, the spiritual shoes that we are to have on the gospel of peace. Now, what is the benefit of having the gospel of peace in our lives? We list two this evening. First, having the gospel in our lives gives to us the ability to fight and resist temptations. Consider what it is like not to have the gospel of peace in your life. Consider what is the opposite of 
peace. The opposite of peace is division, fear, anxiety. And oh, how the devil loves to use division, fear, and anxiety to exploit the church. The devil uses fear and anxiety in powerful ways to accomplish his purposes. How often is it not the case that anxiety in our lives is the underlying reason for sins that we commit against God and against the neighbor. When there is anxiety in our lives, instead of casting our cares upon God, knowing that He cares for us, we turn to other men for comfort and for consolation. How many other vices one falls into because of anxiety? The person who steals. Well, why does that person steal? Why does the student cheat on a test, stealing the answer from the neighbor? It's because they're anxious. Because they want to get a good grade. Why is it that one murders? Why does one kill? Perhaps not physically kill, but kills with the thoughts, the murderous thoughts that rise up in his mind. It's because he's anxious in his relationship about the neighbor, probably jealous of the neighbor. Drunkenness. Why does man turn to the bottle? turns to the bottle to self-medicate his anxiety. Fornication, adultery. Why does one go out and break the seventh commandment? He does so because it provides a momentary break from struggles with the anxieties and pressures of this earth. John Kelvin was convinced that anxiety is the root sin that leads to almost every other sin in the world. But one objects and says, I thought that pride was the root of all evil. I would respond to that, you are correct. Pride and anxiety are twin sisters. The anxious person is the proud person. And the proud person is the anxious person. What is the antidote then to fear and anxiety in one's life? Peace. The Gospel of peace. How powerful then is the presence of the Gospel of peace in our lives to drive away 
fear and anxieties that would lead us into temptation. When we have peace, then we are not jealous of the prosperity of the neighbor, but we can be thankful and even rejoice with him in his or her successes. When we have peace in our hearts, then we can lay our heads down at nighttime and sleep. When we have peace, the gospel of peace in our lives, then we know that we are one with God, united unto Him through the work of His Son, Jesus Christ, and thus we have the Almighty Lord of hosts on our side and we fear not what man can do for us. There is no more solid footing to stand upon than the knowledge that God is one with me. That first of all is the benefit of peace in our lives. Second, the power of The shoes of the gospel of peace is that it gives lasting spiritual power. That is, it grants endurance. Endurance. That's the power of the gospel of peace. Notice the enduring power of the Word of our God proclaimed here by Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah 40 verse 8. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. In two different ways we may speak of the enduring power of the gospel as it is proclaimed by God. On the one hand, the gospel endures from one generation to the next generation. So that from one century to the next century to the following until Jesus Christ returns, the Gospel will go forth. That on the one hand is the power of the Gospel. It endures from one generation to the next. But the other sense in which the Gospel gives the power of endurance is this sense, beloved, that it grants unto you and unto me the power to be faithful in our spiritual Walk. How this stands over against the mentality of the culture in which we live. We live in a world that emphasizes speed, efficiency, getting things done quickly, but then once something is made, then it's almost just as quickly outdated and thrown away. And how that can be a temptation then to us in our spiritual lives. It could be a young man or a young woman who comes to a knowledge of Jesus Christ and is filled with a sense of awe of what Jesus Christ has done for him. And then that young man confesses his faith, even confesses it before the congregation, and is enthusiastic about the Christian walk. But then come Obstacles, hurdles, disappointments, hurt. And now how do you respond 
when there comes hardship in the Christian walk. Soldiers. What do soldiers have to do? They have to walk many miles under the hot sun, sometimes over difficult terrain. It's not exciting work putting one foot in front of another foot in front of another foot. It's tedious. It loses its excitement. It's novelty after a while. Do you have the power of endurance? This power of endurance comes not from the world, but it comes from the Gospel. For the Word of our God shall stand forever. Isaiah 40, verse 30 Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is the remarkable power of the Word of God. It has the ability to take the discouraged, downcast soul and give unto that soul vibrancy and life so that again, the child of God is eager to be involved in Christian warfare. Believe, beloved, this Gospel of peace. And believe that it grants unto you the power, the strength that you need to endure spiritually. In what way do you take these spiritual shoes for yourself so that you might walk the many, many miles that God calls us to walk in our earthly pilgrimage. You do so, beloved, by believing the Gospel personally. And here we emphasize the word personally. Believing the Gospel personally. I fear that too many Christians can simply adopt a herd mentality. The herd mentality being this, that well, This is what other people are doing. This is what's generally expected of me to be a good Christian. And so because this is what others are doing, then the path of least resistance is simply for me to be in conformity to what others are doing as well. And so these sorts of people, they do many good things, outwardly at least. They go through the motions of behaving as a good Christian upon this earth. They come to church. They frequent the house of the Lord. They pay their tithes. They put their money in the collection plate. They send their children to the Christian 
school and support financially the causes of the Christian school. They bow their heads down before mealtime in order to ask for God's blessing upon the meal. But their heart is not in it. And if your heart is not in it, there will be no persevering in the Christian warfare. There will be no joy in coming to church, in giving the tithes, in sending your children to the Christian school. It will simply be done because it's the path of least resistance. And if I don't do it, then I'm going to be in trouble with others. Do you believe the Gospel personally? Does that knowledge of Jesus Christ. The Almighty God who condescended into this world for the sake of sinful human beings. Who laid down His life at Calvary. Who descended to the depths of hell and then was raised again on the third day by the power of God. Does that Gospel message swell in your heart and give you the power to proceed in the Christian walk. Believe as the Holy Spirit gives unto us that ability. And then, beloved, the way in which we put on these spiritual shoes is by beholding The greatness of our God. Isaiah 40, verse 9, O Zion that bringest good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem that bringest good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. The gospel of peace is not found in the circumstances of your life. The gospel is not found in other human beings. But the gospel is found in God Himself. And so if we are going to be compelled unto greater faithfulness in this Christian walk, if we are going to put one foot in front of the other, then we must have our eyes fixed not upon the circumstances of our lives, not upon the neighbor, perhaps even the neighbor who has harmed us and done us wrong, but we are to have our eyes fixed by faith upon Almighty God. He is so great that Isaiah proclaims that all of the nations are before Him as a drop of the bucket and as a small dust upon the balances. How great is our God. Come, beloved, unto the house of the Lord. Come and hear what wonderful things God has done 
for you and receive by faith the shoes of the preparation of the Gospel of peace. Amen. Let us pray. Mighty God, wilt Thou shod our feet with the preparation of the Gospel of peace. May we not be like unto the unrighteous whose feet are are swift to shed innocent blood. But Father, may our feet be firmly planted in the truths of Thy Word. Pardon the sins we committed even during this worship service. For Jesus' sake we pray this. Amen.